spy tendencies. Recorded live from Lamp City Studios in New York City, I'm Cam Meekins. In the studio today with comedy and politics writer Matt Negrin. And here's what we think. So, quick background on Matt. Matt's a GQ contributor. You may have seen his amazing video on Sean Spicer mispronouncing words. That was a personal favorite of mine. Uh, previously, he was the head writer for, with all due respect, on MSNBC. He's worked for Diane Sawyer, the New York Times, the list goes on. Uh, overall, just good guy. Matt, how's it going, man? Oh, no, it's going great. <laughs> How could it not be going great? You like that introduction? Well, that was when, probably my best introduction I've done on the podcast When so you far. read them all back to back, to back it feels <laughs> awesome. <you know? laughs> oh, man. So, Matt, I imagine this has got to be a, a difficult time for you right now. Um, or, I think or maybe not, if you're a comedy guy. Well, it's a difficult time for human beings, for, for mankind. <laughs> I think, uh, for me personally, election night was the weirdest night of my life, uh, bar none. Um, I was actually at the Hilton at Trump's victory party that night. Oh, I wanted to be not there. Not the Javits Center. No, no, I was not at Javits because I wanted to. I thought Trump was the most interesting story of my lifetime. I'd been covering him for two years, and I wanted to see it end. I, like Hillary's story was going to go on for eight more years. Right, I wanted right. to see the end of this one. And when it didn't end, it got weird. It got real, real weird. What was the energy like in the room? So there? for the first two hours, it was really lame. All of Trump's indoor rallies would have an open bar. So like people, for the for the guests, what? not for the reporters, for like the VIP guests. Right, right. So for like half the room, there's all these like people who look like paid actors, dolled up. They look like they're going to prom and they're just getting wasted. They're just getting hammered. They think they're going to lose. And then around 10 o'clock, 1030, when it looked like it was tipping significantly people got real excited the markets were going down and people started cheering it uh and then around 11 30 or midnight they started handing out the make america great again hats wow. and i was like this is fucked up and i i just kept looking at my phone for updates and so i imagine i imagine like a lot of people went to that with pretty low expectations i think so yes right a hundred percent yes in the press and i think the people who attended it also didn't think it was going to happen they just wanted to be there to see trump because right. they, they have this weird right. like it's a weird vibe when you go to trump rallies it's very aggressive well so yeah i wanted to because you've been to a lot of trump rallies definitely a handful all over the country but so there's so there's so many like stories yeah is it all true or is it like i mean there's a lot of bad things i didn't ever get like accosted i never really saw like anti-semitism or anything like that but i saw videos of, of those things and i don't deny that they happened like i think they definitely happened right, right. when i was at um i was in washington a, a couple days ago for cpac which is the conservative gathering mm -hmm. every year and that was the first time that i had been in, in a press area when someone stood up and just yelled you're fake news it was, it was really really strange and then Yikes. trump says from the stage he goes we're gonna do something about it. we're gonna take care of that we're gonna do something about it like what the hell does that mean it's what scary, are you talking man. about? It's scary. Yeah, it's weird. So, but anyway, but it's good. You know, the the upside, as you said, is like there's more material than ever. There's a lot of material. I mean, yeah. Saturday Night Live is like killing it. This they're is great. like the ultimate resurgence they're, they're, for, they're for comedy writers <laughs> right now. It may be the end of civilization, but I mean, I I don't even know how to laugh correctly anymore. Right. Every time I laughed, I'm reminded like, oh, that's an emotion. Why do I feel emotions? I feel so like I had I'm a dead. bottle of champagne that I was gonna. Um, crack when hillary clinton won yeah. the election and then <laughs> i ended up not being able to drink it and my sister was like oh that bottle's cursed like we can't drink can't that. open it and then like three weeks later i was like super drunk one night and i came home <laughs> i was like oh i got this bottle of champagne and i cracked it so i think i'm gonna have bad luck for you drink for the, the next hillary four years. champagne yeah yeah the clinton champagne yeah not supposed so. to do, that's like yeah if we have any more bad luck, it's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> so, Matt, how did you uh, how did you first get into politics and and you know 
comedy writing and things like that? I mean, I got into it when I was um, my first year out of college. I got a job at Politico, and it, and this was awesome because I idolized them. They mm-hmm. were a startup. They had been around for two years, and I watched them grow during the campaign. Um, Obama, McCain, and Palin. Like it, it was like the campaign of my lifetime watching this thing happen. And I was watching from afar. Like I covered it a little bit uh, as like an intern, but I wasn't in the thick of it. And Politico had like all these breakout moments. And so they offered me a job covering the White House for Obama's first term. And, and I like I was so I was so fucking excited to be like I was 22. Mm-hmm. I was like hell yeah I'm gonna be like writing about the president. Were you in DC? Yeah. yeah. And so my job was to write about everything. Like I blogged. It was a living diary of what he did. So I just live blogged everything he did. And I I could not have been more excited. Uh, After about a year, I got kind of like tired of it, but I kept doing it. I did it for two years. And then after that, I went to ABC News to cover um, the 2012 campaign. But for that, for those first, that first year was like one of the most magical years of my life. Just like being in so much, like everyone was obsessed with Obama. Right. And everyone wanted news about him. Right. And we knew people in the White House were reading our stuff. Like, we could write whatever we wanted. Um, like, we didn't really have an editor, which was so cool. Like, I was the editor of this page, the right. 44 page. So it was like I had authority and control. And, like, that's a lot of power to give to someone who probably doesn't deserve it. For sure. <laughs> but I, I loved it. And the weird That's fallacy, the beauty of a small company like yeah, that. Yeah, it's great. Though. You just have full autonomy. And people just fall into things. Right. The, but the, the big lie about um, political journalism is that it's not the best journalism in the world. It's just like right now it's the most read because it's the biggest story. But a lot of White House journalism is really bad. Well, and it's really lazy. Yeah. Well, I definitely want to ask you why you think that, but but I think we're walking the line between reality TV now and journalism. I mean, I, mean, I think we're way over the line. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I mean, why, why do you think that some of it is bad? So the White House press corps for the past probably two decades has operated the same way every day, which is basically sit back, wait for the administration to give you stuff, and then you write it. And they play favorites with, you know, the Obama administration loved the New York Times, so they would give them a lot of good exclusives. They would give Reuters and the AP standard stuff. Like, it was very mechanical, and everyone got used to it, and and that breeds a complacency that's horrible for democracy. Like, mm-hmm. if you really want to be high and mighty about the fourth estate, independent press holding people accountable, the press was way too close to Obama, not because they loved him as a person. That's not true. They they loved the story of him during the campaign, but then they got really used to how they would cover him in the White House. So th- the administration did a really good job of, Perfect of job. maintaining those relationships. Yeah, they played reporters so well. The, like, there's a very great... Um, comparison to be made to the way that the Japanese press operates. And I, I lived in Japan for a while and, and, and like researched this, and I was an intern for the AP there. This was like in my last year of college. And they have this uh, really fascinating system called the Kisha Club, hmm. where um, all the reporters who want, you know, the mainstream reporters, the big three TV stations, the wires, the radios, and the big newspapers, mm-hmm. there's like a dozen of them total. They're all part of this club. And they get all the press releases from the government. And every agency, you know, their Mm. equivalent of like defense and the EPA, whatever, they have their own Keisha clubs. That just means press club. And if you're in the club, you get the press release and then you get to put it in your newspaper, Mm. whatever. Sometimes the government even gives them the headline. Like it's amazing. (laughs) They just do so much work for these reporters. (laughs) The thing is, if if you call an outside source, if you scoop another reporter, they kick you out of the club. So they're self-preserved by these 
reporters right, right. in this club who want everything to just be the status quo. We get our press releases at the same time. We put them out at the same time. And I held up, I took five front pages of newspapers in Japan, which has the highest readership in the world. They have 10 million to 12 million readers for the top two newspapers. The Wall Street Journal has 2 million, and that's the highest in the U.S. So everyone reads newspapers. Most people read more than one in, in Japan. So I held up five front pages from the same day, and they were almost identical. Same photo, same story, sometimes even the same headline. So it's essentially state-run media. It's state-run, but it's not censored by the state. It's censored by the press, which is fascinating that they self-censor themselves because they're so worried about disrupting the system. So the White House is very similar in that the press just is so used to this, uh, this, this routine if you watch the White House press briefings, which you can, you'll get some. You'll hear some reporters saying things like, to Sean Spicer, the new press secretary, be like, "Sean, it's traditional for like this to happen, or like normally this will happen." And Sean Spicer, like, I I hate that guy. Like, he's a liar, but. To his credit, he's disrupting that whole process, and he'll say things like, okay, well, I don't really care what your routine is. Like, we're doing things differently. So are you one of those people who are, are frustrated with, with the media as a whole? Because, totally, you know, 100%. That's, that's, a, that's a whole Trump thing, right? Like, this yeah. is the whole... yeah. This is the whole movement now. So I, I hate the media for different reasons than Trump of does. Of course. But secretly, here's the secret, Trump loves the media. He can't live without it. He's <laughs> addicted to it. Right. But I hate the media because I just think the media can't change. They're incapable of adapting. And they are treating Trump, they did this during the campaign, they're doing it now, they're treating the most unconventional, unlikely, and undeserving president like a normal president. We mm. keep on asking, when's he going to pivot? His speech, you know, his address to, to Congress, it was so presidential. Why do you want him to be presidential? He's not normal. This should not have happened. Well, it's like pick a side. You know what I mean? Either yeah. call him out to be ridiculous yeah. or But just, reporters, yeah. reporters are so afraid of being not objective, right. of saying the president is lying. They're very afraid to say that because they'll be, they'll be seen as unobjective. An editor at the Wall Street Journal s- told his reporters not to say the word lie because our readers will think we're not objective, even if he's lying. You know what, though? So I read the New York Times. I mean, I read all of them. Mm-hmm. Try and You're like Sarah see what's all going of them, on. Any you know of them. I mean? <laughs> yeah, you know, whatever. Um, but I, I get emails a lot from the New York Times. Talk, you know, they're trying to get me to pay yeah. for it and stuff, which I do. I yeah. stole my friend's student email account, so I only get it great. for $4 a month, so that's great. Subscri- student um, subscription. But I keep getting emails, and they're like, the truth, the truth. New York Times yeah. is the truth. You know, They're trying to force feed down your throat. That yeah. We are the truth. We are the truth. Yeah. And you know, I don't like that either, though, because mm-hmm. like, New York Times has an opinion as well. right? Like, all of these different media companies are coming at it from an angle. And you know, this whole... like polarization that we have which is like you're either like following conservative media or you're following liberal media now mm-hmm. it's like oh it's so frustrating to me someone who go I, you know i go all around the country and i'll hang out with people in you know the middle of kentucky to california to texas to massachusetts to wherever right and you can drink a beer with any of these people and have a good time but you know people are so polarized now I do not think that that is going to be productive. And I talk to people in New York, a lot of people who, you know, mostly spend all of their time in New York. And, you know, they basically say, obviously, they they hate Trump. And there's a good reason to hate Trump. But, you know, they talk about things 
that they see as solutions, you know, basically shutting down everything any Republican ever has to say and doing all these things. And there's a great argument to be made that Republicans are crazy right now for supporting this guy. There's And Paul Ryan is just... Yeah, the, Paul Ryan is the most craven. He has no ethics or no morals backbone, or anything. No right, all of these guys. I mean, the only few who are somewhat commendable are McCain and... You know, a couple even, other guys. But even he, he is like all, all bark and no bite. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I get that. I get that frustration from Democrats. But at the same time, I don't think becoming more, you know, polarized mm-hmm. is, is the solution either. So, so where do we go from here? If the question is about the media, then um, it's, a, it's really hard to answer because there is a liberal media. And there is a conservative media, but there's also an objective media. And right now, the objective media are all these organizations that are being grouped with the liberal media. Mm-hmm. The New York Times is an objective media source. So is the Washington Post. So is CNN. All these places that are reporting, ABC News, CBS, NBC, all these places that are reporting on all the horrible things the Trump administration is doing are objective. And they would do the same thing if the president were Democrat and was also doing those horrible things. Mm-hmm. Obama wasn't doing horrible things at this rate, and that's why there weren't that many reports about all the horrible things that his attorney general had been doing, because it just wasn't happening at that rate. So it looks like the mainstream media is liberal, when in fact, they're just reporting things that are so newsworthy because they're crazy. But that perception creates this idea that the media is liberal. And that's Mm -hmm. really, really sad, because there is a liberal media, and it's the Huffington Post. And it's like, a lot of the nightly shows on MSNBC. Like, mm-hmm. that's liberal media. And, like, it's not great, but it's the answer to Fox News and Breitbart and all those right-wing media. Mm-hmm. The problem is that the middle media, which is reliable 99% of the time, is being grouped with the left simply because they're writing about bad things that Trump is doing. So do you think it's even? Like, do you think that there's, like, a X percentage of conservative media than a lot of objective, good even That's media, and then you know another well, what, but percentage of liberal media. But it doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. What matters is where people get their news, right. and it's and it's all like. Fake news is this horrible, horrible term that's been co-opted. Right. Right. What it means is hoax websites and and mostly right wing, mm-hmm. not authentic or um, like ba- like you know weirdo people in Europe just creating rumors to get clicks. Well, they go, they can I sell think the ads. fringe goes on both sides. I'm a huge. I fucking hate people who are anti-vaxxers. Like I think they right, should all yeah. just jump off a bridge and kill themselves. Like they're, I think they're, they're so stupid. Donald Trump's an anti-vaxxer. Yeah, but it's it's mostly a fringe liberal yeah, issue, yeah, though. Yeah, it's weird. That's one of those weird things that's kind of like not totally partisan, I right. think. But yes, I agree. You're either crazy or you're not. Exactly. You know yes. what I mean? Yes. And, and both and, sides definitely do have the, the crazy. And that's what you, fake, new, fake news is. Yeah, that's fake. Yes, exactly. And a lot of fake news, this was before Trump started saying it, a lot of fake news during the campaign came out on Facebook. And that's mm-hmm. like, that's really dangerous. And I I, I saw a, um, a breakdown uh, this week that said that like most people get their news from like, you know, this breakdown of sources. And it was like, 40 something percent was from Facebook and the next highest thing was like I don't even think it was Twitter but like Twitter was like 3%. Like it's all Facebook. So, it's so heavily Facebook and it's all that's unregulated. That's uh it it's not vetted at all and it's very very dangerous because I have relatives as I'm sure like everyone does who's like you know Hillary Clinton killed a guy. Like what? No she didn't. <laughs> you know Hillary Clinton had a stroke. What? No she didn't. 
she's, You're reading she's this stuff a, on fake news. a child sex trafficker. Exactly. Pizza, yeah. The cosmic pizza <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Oh, I read it on the internet. Why would someone write it if it weren't true? So I don't want to give Trump too much credit because at the end of the day, I think it really boils down to like 80,000 people in Wisconsin and yeah. Michigan and you know Pennsylvania. What the cre- Can I throw one stat at you? That sure. It's my favorite it. stat of the election. Let's hear it. So Trump won Michigan by, by um, 35,000 votes. Okay? okay. That is so small. In Michigan, the morning of election day, 70,000 Democrats wake up, go to the polls. Like, wake up, get out of bed, go wait in line, and go vote. And they vote down-ballot Democrat, but they don't vote for president. They leave it blank. Those are Hillary voters who vote who don't vote for president because we, in the media, told them, Hillary's got this. Don't worry about it. She's going to win. There's Do no you, way that's, Trump wins. That's why they didn't vote and for that's anybody? Why, or did that's they my, not th- like That's Hillary. my theory, that they didn't vote for Hillary because they didn't like her. They didn't want it on their conscience that they voted for her, but if they had known it was close, they would have voted for her. Mm. And that is twice as many people did that as Trump won Michigan by. I believe that. That is nuts. For sure. But I think that also, you know, it also does say that Hillary was a tough- Bad candidate. Candidate. Not a good candidate. For this situation. Not a good campaign. A million things wrong with it. Yeah. But at the same time- It's important to acknowledge that because, you know- Democrats should not run someone like that ever again. Someone yeah. who's so entitled and who's so um, has so many like tentacles into the party system that prohibited a, a truly free election. That was not good. So I think Democrats are at a turning point right now. I think of myself as an independent personally, but I, I look at Democrats because, you know, frankly, I'm, I'm much more in line with, with them these days sure, yeah. than anything else. But, you know... It's becoming more of a party of the Hillary Clintons and the establishment, right? And I think it's straying away from its core, which were, you know, union, blue-collar workers, you know, mm-hmm. economic message. I think that's why Bernie Sanders was such an amazing phenomenon in this election in a similar way that Trump was for different, you know, different views, but the same issues, mm-hmm. economy, economy, and blue-collar and all this stuff. Yeah. And that's a, that's a Democrat thing. Like, yeah. all these things that Trump succeeded on or democrat things and you know bernie was trying but he couldn't quite move the needle and he you know what i mean and so hillary is so not that she's so like the top one percent democrats totally you know and she's so in the game you could always tell that she was forcing it when she said right you know i'm i'm a my i grew up in scranton or whatever yeah and i just i i don't know i i just don't think i don't think you win elections if you are just focusing on the viewpoints of California and New York. Yeah. And, and I think that the, in a lot of ways, Democrats are doing that right now and are, and are not talking about the economic issues that people really care about. Or when they talk about them, it just rings hollow because it's like they're reading yeah. from Or them. maybe they're being too um, real. Like, ironically, I think sometimes like Democrats can be too realistic to the point where it's disappointing. Yeah. Whereas like Trump was telling lies. Yeah. But people kind of wanted to believe it. Well, Trump was, you know? Trump was lying about a lot of things. Like, and oh, I'm going to bring your coal jobs back. Like he's, he's right. He's not going to do that, but you know but what? The country like, loved that. They wanted to hear that. Yeah. Some people just want to hear that. people who have been affected by NAFTA, they wanted to hear that NAFTA was the worst deal ever. Right. And so, you know, I don't know. I don't know what's really right or wrong, but if we're talking about winning an election, if that's all we're talking about, if I'm, you know, that's all that Trump cared about. Right. He wasn't. He wasn't going to follow through on half of this stuff. Yeah. He's abandoned a lot of it and said it was great during the campaign. I'm surprised that some of it's actually gotten done. It's kind of weird. 
<laughs> I'd like to see him build some highways. That'd, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. I drive a lot on highways. So yeah. yeah, but anyway, so what I was going to say was it really boils down to like 80,000 people in, in these like three states. So I don't want to give Trump too much credit, but I right. think there is um, a, an interesting thing to understand about this election, which is he figured out how to play this fake news, this social media, mm-hmm. um, this instant communication thing. Um, and every great president, every great campaign has figured out that platform and been way better than everybody else. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, whether you call it the reality TV platform, or you call it the social media platform, like Trump was really effective and still is yeah. with using those mediums to like just basically lie to people and get his message across and hammer it in people's heads and then, you know, come up with these catchphrases and stuff. So, yeah. Um, that's what TV producing is. It's, right. it's dumbing everything down to four words and repeating it ad nauseum. And he's the best television producer of our time. It's, you know, it's still crazy to me. Like, uh, when I, like when I watched the address the other day, like I still look at him. I'm like, oh, like, you know, is this an NBC look, show? doesn't look right. Yeah. It, it doesn't feel it, right. It really looks weird. Yeah. And that, and that might be a symptom or a, um, I don't know if it's a symptom or a cause of, of being in the bubble. And that's where we are. Mm. Because to us, it doesn't look normal. But to 64 million, 63 million people, it totally does. So, do you find it hard to create content right now in this climate? Like, or it, easier, or... It's weird because... So, a lot of my... Um, a lot of the videos that I made when I was uh, covering the election, I would make these jokey videos... And we all knew that Trump was going to lose. So we had no problem making videos about, um, you know, all the words that Trump says. He says, he says huge. He says bigly. He says tremendous. He says believe me. So we'd like make mashups of that and they were really funny. And we all had a good laugh about that. We'd make videos about his hand gestures because he moves his hands a lot. So like I did a video where I gave his hand gestures nicknames and like everybody loved that one. It was really fun. Now it's not so funny anymore. And and those videos like they in retrospect they look they look horrible because like we were making a joke out of this horrible meteor that crashed into the earth. In retrospect we should not have been doing that but in, but we didn't know and it kind of it kind of hurts. So now the humor has to be I think the humor has to be deeper and there is a there is a deeper, darker humor to this administration and this, not just the administration, but like the state of the country right now. And there's something to not just laugh about, but like think about. And I think that's what is so hard about trying to be funny and reach people in mm-hmm. this age. We can't just do those, those silly videos. And I've tried to do a few of them and they like haven't really landed, not with an audience and like not even with me. Mm-hmm. And, and part of it is because I feel like this is, you know, I'm good at this. This is what I can do. I'll do it. But I need to go deeper, and it's a lot harder to do that. So that's one of the things I'm trying to do is is cut through all the the veneer of Trump, which is so much low-hanging fruit that everyone always goes for, and they miss that juicy red apple at the top. Mm. So I'm trying to find that apple and figure out how to how to pluck it. And do it within, what, one to three minutes? Or, yeah. You, you know. Do it in a time that someone won't click away during right because the payoff's got to be good i mean just in general i feel like what you do producing viral content with a political kind of comedy spin on it right like that that already is incredibly difficult it's hard and it's nice to it's nice that people like if clinton were president no one would really care i think like i think that people be like yeah this is normal i don't like politics right 
so that's the one thing that Trump has done, like for me, which is yeah. Do you think get that everyone? That, do you think that's a thing? Do you think when there's you know, a, I guess a lot of times it's conservative presidents. Right? I think about Bush. And, yeah. You know, do you think that comedy is better? Is better or like they have more content? Like comedy SNL during the and Bush all years, this stuff. Comedy during the Bush years was insane. Right. It was. I can't amazing. think of a because I mean during Obama's eight years, like yeah. But here's the thing. It's. It's a little bit. I've I've heard this like this argument so many times, and people always say like, "Well, isn't isn't it great that like isn't it great for you that Trump is president?" Like Bush, in some respect, yes, but in another respect, any good like comedy writer or comedian or just writer period will be able to find good content anywhere. Well, I think comedy is like self-deprecating too. Yeah, like I think it, a lot of com- like you know uh, you know I don't want to get too deep with you, but I think a lot of comedians are kind of fucked up. They should the best ones probably are. You know, like Yeah, and I think it comes from a place of failure. I think that um I was reading your your blog uh like leading up to this and you talk you talk a lot about like process and how you have to constantly like every day do your thing and that's definitely true. Mm. And I think for me my creative process starts with failing. Like it has to, like I have to go through bad ideas to get to the good ones mm. because I know I'm never going to start with the best idea. Very well, it's, it's not even I, I, like, that's not even like failing. I think what that is, is it's like, it, it goes back to, I mean, that's, I just wrote an article on this basically like people say that creative people have, you know, have to get inspired. Right. Yeah. You know yeah, what yeah. I mean? yeah, and, yeah. And oftentimes you'll hear creative people saying like, yeah, you know, I, I get inspired yeah. by like these different things, and and I just think that that's bullshit. Yeah. I really, really do. Is this the one about running? Is this the running? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, or, yeah. Or, you know, it, it basically, like, I've never, I've written a lot of songs in my life. I, I really, really don't think I've ever like been in the grocery store and been like, oh shit, yeah, here's a full song. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? It comes like, to you in little yeah, bits. Yeah, and and it's you, you can't like, you can't determine when it's going to happen or when, you can't it, when force it isn't. It. And the more you, it's like a Chinese finger trap. Yeah, the more the you best, force it, the worse the it's going to get. The best things I've ever written, and I bet this is true for you, for some of the stuff that you've done, the best things that I've ever written sometimes have been completely random. I, I did a song called Better Days, which is by far my most successful song ever. And the way that I made that song, I had a little studio set up in my mom's apartment back when I was 18 years old. And I was sitting in this room and I was just like fucking around on the, on the piano. I made this little thing. And then I was like, okay, all right, this, this is kind of dope. And I wrote the song in 30 minutes. Wow. And that song has done more for my career than any other song wow. ever. That's awesome. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, but like, I. There's no textbook for that. I, I wrote it about a person, I wrote it about a, a relationship I was in, but, you know, it wasn't like one particular thing that just moved the needle for me right, right. there that inspired me. Right. You know, life is inspiring all the time. You're, yeah. You always have stuff to talk about, uh-huh. but sometimes it's going to be okay. Sometimes it's going to be great. Sometimes it's going to be fucking horrible. <laughs> and that's why you need to sit down every day and, and just try and make stuff. And so, you know, I'll sit down and I'll mess around with some music and, and sometimes it'll be whack. Sometimes it'll be a great song, but that's how you create. It's, it, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I think that, um, they say to write what you know, and the more things you don't write that you know, the more missed opportunities you have. Right. So as long as you're putting everything down, the cream rises to the top. Well, and then I imagine it's pretty high pressure, especially in a political year for yeah, you. It's weird. You're trying to put content out for GQ or New York Times or whatever it is, right? And I'm sure you have deadlines or people that are, you know, above you or maybe not if you're at Politico you just do whatever the fuck you want but. <laughs> that, it changed that's why I left <laughs> so 
I, I imagine that that's stressful, but obviously you being the position you're in, you probably, I imagine, would take that stress and just just power through so it. Right? I, lo- you just, I love it. I love stress. You just try, right? Yes. Like It's like, okay, yes. like I have to make a video. It's like, what am I going to do? I'm I, just going to do this. I'm I work be- 80% better when someone's breathing down my neck. Mm-hmm. When I have a hard deadline, uh, like when I used to work for MSNBC, with all due respect, I, would, had, a, I had a 5 p.m. deadline every day. Mm-hmm. I knew I had to get it done. Great. I can do that. I'm very fast, thanks to Politico. And I know my like I know what's in my my sphere of things I'm really good at. Give me things in that sphere, give me a time, I will get it done. I guarantee it. If you tell me like, hey, work on something, like try to figure something out, you know, you have a week or whatever, whenever, I'm gonna be way less uh yeah. like and that's inspired. The, that's the human instinct to be lazy a Exactly, because like, oh, I've got time to do this. And that is that's something that I wish I could change about myself because I'd love to be working at full steam all the time. Mm. Whereas if someone says like, hey, this just happened and we need a video in three hours, I can do that and I will do it because I, I want to. I think it proves what we're talking about. It proves this idea that creativity is not something that just magically happens when you get inspired. Totally. It's something that you always have, but like sometimes you just need to force it and force yourself to do it. If you do, if you can force it the right way, right. There's, there's definitely ways to force it the right way, but there's so many ways to force it the wrong way. I think my, my brain has like these chambers and for, for different things and they're all um, they're all blocked by inhibitions and certain things unlock those inhibitions mm-hmm. so for some people you know it, it's drinking or, or drugs uh, in some situations for some people it's like talking to someone uh, for some people it's like watching a show for some people it's like being in a quiet room or, or mm-hmm. the shower mm-hmm. and like I have a few of these things um, one of my inhibitions you know might be in that chamber might be like talking to people like that's something that a lot of people have trouble with mm. and then you have two drinks and all of a sudden like that inhibition is gone right so I have a chamber that it's like my sweet spot for writing and it's really hard to unlock but when I'm in it I do as much as I can because I know that that window is going to close at some point and I got to get everything out like I just feel I feel like I'm flying like I like I'm jumping over an army of of Greeks with spears and I, right. they can't touch me because I'm hitting every single note Like my best work has come at written or video has always been when I'm in that sweet spot. And anything I've written when that door is closed is not as good. It could be good, but it's not as good. And it's not the thing that I'm like, that I'm really trying to do. And when you're in that zone, like there's nothing like it. I think I used to run a lot. Like it's kind of like having a runner's high when you're just, you're, you're floating on a cloud and you don't feel the pain. You only feel euphoric when you're in a a writer's high it's great because you can like see, like I think of jokes that I didn't know before. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes you save a joke uh, and it's like, oh, I can use that here. But when you're in a writer's high, you're just like coming up with stuff on the fly. It's the same phenomenon when, when, when you do music. You do a show. Yeah. A oh, live yeah, totally. Show. A live show. Absolutely. There's, Absolutely. I was watching some comedy special the other night and some guy was talking about like, uh, I forget what how he term how he phrased it, but it basically this phenomenon of when you're a performer and you're really sick. Like I've I've had like the flu sometimes, and mm-hmm. I've been on tour. Mm-hmm. But you have to perform for 45 minutes. You go on stage and you just do it. 
and like for whatever weird biological yeah, reason, it's your body is just fine. Yeah. Like you're completely fine for exactly 45 yeah. minutes. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's like a so something, I, you know, I, there's, there's a lot that's unknown about a lot of this stuff, you yeah. know what I mean? The, the psychological component of it. And, and like but, adrenaline. Yeah. It's, it, it, but something is going on there. Yeah. And yeah. whether you're in the zone writing or making a video or you're on stage and you're feeding off the crowd or, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's all the same thing. You're it's probably, kind of like you're suspending reality. Mm-hmm. Like, like sometimes when if you do the same thing every day for long enough, like if you drive to and from work or school every day, you kind of forget the route. Like when you get home, you're like, hey, how did I get here? It's like, right. oh, I just do it every day. Like I just right. know it. Or you walk it, whatever. It's kind of like that's that out-of-body thing. Mm-hmm. You just forget how your body's feeling. So let's talk a little bit about your travels. Sure. So You travel a lot too. I travel a lot. And I have a lot. So here's what I would say about traveling. Most of my traveling has been in the United States. I've been to 48 states. Nice. Of the what 50. are the two? Uh, Louisiana and Tennessee. That's, that's awful because Nashville and New Orleans are like the two best cities in America. Right? Like you would think that I wouldn't <laughs> have gone to like North Dakota before yeah. I had gone to like New Orleans. Yeah. But for whatever Kid, reason. You got to go to New Orleans. I know. I know. That's good though because you'll go to all 50 because there's no way you're going to die before you go to for New sure, Orleans. And Nashville. For sure. Also, Nashville's my favorite city in the U.S. Well, and also like, you know, I'm at 48. Like I don't yeah. care what, yeah, the, that's what true. the two others are. I'm going <laughs> to fucking do it. <laughs> at this you know, point. Unless I get hit by a fucking bus later tonight, <laughs> I'm going to do it. And we're talking being in the state, not driving through, right? Yeah, being in, in at the, least for like, you know. You have a, a meal or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Okay. do something. Yeah. Um, and I think politically, um, personally, the way that I you know, handle myself socially, all of these things about myself uh, have been shaped by my experiences traveling. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And subconsciously or consciously. Yeah. I mean, I think it's probably one of my favorite things. Yeah. Like what I do, what I do, I'll go into a city and a lot of times it's sort of like 24 hours because it's a show and then you go to the next city or something like that. I'll go to a city and I'll say, all right, here's what I want to do. You know, and and mind you, I'm on a music tour, so it's you know a little bit different. Mm-hmm. I want to go there. I want to do the show. I want to go out. I want to go to like the coolest bar. I want to meet people. I want to mm-hmm. party with them. You know what I'm saying? I want to go to like the best food spot I yeah. can go at like yeah. one in the morning. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you live in go to the greasy spoon in you know Lincoln, Nebraska, like where's the spot that you're going at one thirty yeah. in the morning? What's their version food? of dollar slice pizza? Yeah. Because like that, you know, that to me is like what a real life is in a city. And so I want to experience that in every city that I go to. Yeah. And you have to have an open mind. Yeah. And I think people sometimes have a tough time doing that. But everyone that I tour with, everyone that I hire on my tours, the first thing that I'll do like is make sure that they're like that. That's awesome. Because like you can't travel around the country without with with like, you know, a closed mind. That's true. And because the whole point of traveling... You're fucking horrible to be around. Why would you walk around with your eyes closed right. if you're in a museum something like that? And, you know, you know but, but, but it makes a difference, like, when you talk about, like, these political things, too, is, is like, you know, I've had some tough conversations with yeah. people in different states... Because you haven't who lived have their lives. vastly different views yeah. than I do. Yeah. But, you know, they might be a fan of my music, you know what I'm saying? Or... Yeah. And... Yeah, it's weird to think that, like, you could like something that one of these people likes... Even though you have nothing. Well, else to me in now, it's not weird because I see us all a lot closer than I think the average person does. Mm-hmm. Um, but my point is, I, th- I think the world would benefit yeah, if everyone <laughs> could travel a ton. Yeah, or just at least like be a little bit more. Yeah. Um, 
like receptive to to the dialogue but it goes both ways the the you know not just not just me but like the other person needs to be open-minded too to my side and you know i, th- I think that yeah. that's kind of how we need to move forward but. i think that's a good approach and the variants that you see in the united states i would say like multiply them by f- a factor of five when you get out of the united states so where have you you've gone to brazil i, th- I think i counted it um a couple months ago i think i've been to 22 different countries wow. um uh, I've been to Brazil. Yeah, I, I did. So this, so my most recent, um, like big, big trip, and this is the longest I've ever been outside the U.S. I was a writer for um, for Diane Sawyer, which mm-hmm. you nicely put in my introduction. Yes, uh, I was her news writer. I did it for about a year, and then I I quit because I wanted to write a book about um, soccer fans, and this is like a very unusual thing. I like soccer. I wasn't like you know I didn't. I'm not good at it. Did you um, play like in I, high when school? I was a kid? Like, I, but I sucked. Yeah. Uh, but I loved watching the World Cup, and I had never really understood why all these people um, go crazy for their countries. Like they go to the the World Cup every year and they like do the craziest things and I realized that like soccer fans are nuts around the world and so I wanted to live with them and know them and write about them and so I went to six different countries six or seven different countries I went to um I went to Japan that was the third time I'd been to Japan I went to Finland I went to Germany Bosnia Croatia and then Brazil and I was in Brazil for three months which is where the World Cup was hosted um, in 2014 mm. and I went to six different cities in Brazil to see some different games but also like I lived in a favela which is like a slum outside Rio with the family that was like the safest I've ever felt I lived in like the Amazon with the tribe that started the only indigenous professional soccer team in Brazil uh, and and had like very, very bizarre experiences like hunting with the chief of the tribe. Uh, Cool things, but also like very, very um, unusual things that I would never do otherwise. Right. Um, And all of these experiences. I mean, you got to be really open-minded to do something like that because, you know, I'm over here talking about like, oh, you know, you're open-minded to go to like Kentucky or something. You're talking about being in like a village. So imagine, imagine being... Imagine the darkest you've ever seen anything. Like, for you, like, what is it? Where's the darkest you've ever been? Like, physically darkest. I guess somewhere in, like, the middle of the country, like, yeah. at night, like, farmlands, no lights, like, no lights. Right? Yeah. But you still have, like, stars, right? hmm So, like, there's very, very little light. Let's say it's a cloudy night, even. Right. There's still like the moonlight coming through the clouds, right. like that glow. You can still kind of see like outlines. Right. So I'm in the middle of a forest, an Amazon forest with the chief of this tribe, and the trees are so tall that they block out everything. And it's midnight, which is the darkest, like midnight to one a.m., like the darkest point of the night for this time of year. And it's I I could close my eyes and open them, and there was no difference. It was. And I was there for an hour, not moving, just like crouching down, waiting. He had a shotgun and he was waiting for animals to come up to him so he could shoot. Like he would listen for them because they can see. I mean, sorry, because they can they can hear, but they can't see in the dark. So he goes hunting at night, waits until he hears something and then fires a shotgun. I waited for an hour. I was five feet away from him. I've waited for an hour, like almost pissing myself, waiting for this guy to fire a shotgun. I mean, that sounds real Dick Cheney accident waiting like, to happen. Yeah, and it wasn't a quail scatter shot. This was like a real shotgun. And that's fucking after the, insane. And after the whole thing, he doesn't even fire a shot because no animals came. So I was like shaking, like is like well, trying to contain myself, just the, waiting for the, the whole time. Like pulled, imagine, yeah. yeah, the anticipation is like is is worse than the actual bang. I imagine. 
So that's what I did in the Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> See, I don't know. Like, I'm just thinking like, like, I mean, like, where do I like take a dump? Like, you know what I mean? Like, where do I brush my teeth? Like, there <laughs> all, all that sort, stuff. There are all sorts of weird logistics. Yeah, that you like the logistics out. of it is but the thing that ha- I struggle with. They have like incorporated some modern elements of life into their village, mm-hmm. but they also have intentionally um, strong throwbacks to their ancestors. So it's a weird mix. They have televisions. They have trucks. Uh, they have bathrooms, but they do these rituals where they chop down a tree with a, you know, like a machete, homemade machete. So is it is it to... Um, it's to not forget their roots. Right. right. And it's, um, it's so important to them that they do everything with meaning and purpose. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think you could definitely argue like that's been lost in a cosmopolitan lifestyle. And a lot, Brazil is very similar to the United States, but you know, their biggest city, Sao Paulo, is very similar to New York hmm. um, in, in size and density. They have four professional soccer teams in Sao Paulo, which is amazing if you think about that's that. Crazy. Like how many cities have more than two professional sports teams right. in the same sport? Right. So... That's like the rest of Brazil is very like modernized. There are a lot of things horrible about about Brazil, but it's very modern. It's very complex. There's concrete everywhere when you get away from the beach. And then thousands of miles away in this tribe, they're like, no, we're going to smash berries onto our chest and run logs through the forest because our ancestors did it. We don't want to forget how they lived. So that's really nice. That's insane. How did you even get connected with that? So I went to Brazil knowing that I wanted to write a story about the Amazon and soccer culture. And when you get, when a country gets the World Cup, um, the country decides which cities will host. And in all of those cities, with some exceptions, they build new stadiums. Mm. So the Amazon got one of the stadiums, and everyone thought it was going to be in this um, this state called Pará, and especially in this city called Belém, because they had an insane soccer rivalry, like right. the most soccer-loving state in Brazil. They had two local teams there. Everyone goes. Like, they're just, everyone in this city is, Brazil's already soccer crazy, and this city was even bigger. And it goes to another city called Manaus because Brazil's the most corrupt government, one of the most corrupt governments in the world. There were some politicians in Manaus who were very powerful, and they got the city to, or they got the stadium. So they got, you know, a billion dollar stadium, pocketed a ton of money. That stadium is now, like, not used at all. It's a total waste. And everyone, every journalist there went to Manaus to this, like, you know, Manaus is like, it's a two million, two million people live. It's a huge city. It's like Mm -hmm. a tourist spot. Not that it's not the Amazon. Like, yeah, there's like big insects and all that stuff, but it's like a city city. And I did not want to go to Manaus because I did not want to go with all these other writers. I did not want to write the story that's like, here's what the Amazon's like. Like, people have weird, like, witch doctor stuff. Like, I went to the real Amazon. So I found, uh, I talked to this guy who was a journalist in Brazil who's kind of like a fixer for me. And I told him, like, I want to go to the Amazon, but I don't want to go where everyone else is going. And he was like, well, there is this place really far away that has this tribe that started an indigenous soccer league. And I was like, great. And this was the only time I was freelancing a lot of stories um, when I was doing this trip. And this is the only time that I had two um, organizations bid for the story. Mm. So I knew that it was going to cost me a ton of money, so I wasn't going to do it unless I had an agreement beforehand. All the other stories I did, I did it on my own dime, and then I sold it and hoped I made it back. But this was the only one that I did beforehand, and I ended up getting $3,500 for it from Sports Illustrated, and then the story cost me $4,000, so I (laughs) I still lost some money. But it was worth it. It was awesome. I mean, that's a a once-in-a-lifetime. Yeah, I I have no regrets about it. So, like, did you come back from that with, like, 
what what yellow what fever? Shape? Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, actually, I was going to ask that. I was like, did you, ever you get no, sick? I or? got a I got a free shot. Like in Brazil, yeah. healthcare is free for that sort of thing. Oh, wow. like, just walk into a clinic, they gave me a free shot. Yeah, right, it's wild. That's that's pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> um, what changed for you when you came back to the United States after traveling yeah. and being in Brazil? And a lot of it. I mean, I was I was viewing this professionally um, first, and a lot of it was that I just developed this distaste for pack journalism. And mm. I had been in political journalism for a long time and seen, as I said, like the White House, that kind of pack journalism, which is disgusting and lazy and stupid. And I had never done sports journalism. And so in Brazil, I really saw that. Uh, everyone at, at these World Cup games was writing the same story. It made no sense. And so I, I just, it, it, that opened my eyes to the idea that every industry has pack journalism. Mm. Um, it's very hard to break out of that. It's very hard to have independent thought and an independent process. And that really bothered me because it's hard to stand out. And I was doing it, but I was a freelancer making no money. I was breaking even. And the, the industry just can't support that kind of creative well, writing. That's, that's kind of like the, the cool thing about comedy is you can kind of take a little bit stronger viewpoints. But Definitely. kind of yeah. wrap it up in, yeah. in, you know, in comedy yeah. and uh make it a little bit more approachable for people because of that. And the good thing but about comedy... at the comedy, core of it, there's some really serious... Yes, exactly. It has to be, it views, has to be real right. and it has to be true. Right. And that's what I mean with like this deeper, darker sense of comedy mm-hmm. that w- I think we all wake up every morning wondering if this is a dream and the comedic avenues for answering that have to be a lot more sophisticated. I mean, political comedy or political satire is, at its definition making light of something very serious. Yeah. And you it's know? hard it's hard to make light of some of these things. Right. And I wonder if, you know, does that come from for for not just you but other people who who do that kind of comedy, does it come from a place of general distaste for the rest of huh. the media God, and how they're approaching it? For me it does cuz I love making fun of the media and it's right. kind of a safe thing to do because like when I clip 15 news anchors mispronouncing someone's name together. Like, yeah, we're all going to laugh because like, check the guy's name before you say it. Like, that's just stupid. But at the same time, there's, there's plenty of comedy to be done about, um, non-media things. Um, one of the biggest problems is that the more you make fun of a guy like Trump for things like, oh, he's fat. Oh, he's got orange skin. Oh, he talks weird. Oh, he has like a really bad personal life. Oh, he wants to have sex with his daughter. Like all these like really funny, but like very shallow things. The more you do that, the more you build a shield around the things that are really destructive. And that's what is the biggest struggle. Not just for me. I mean, yeah, I like to do the cheap stuff, but I really want to do the hard stuff. But I think that's a struggle for everyone because they're finding that you can't just take pot shots at this guy anymore. You really have to go after what he says. Yeah, I think in general, we as as people need to start focusing more on the high level because we're really getting like distracted by all this like because there's individualism so much. Right now. There's so much low level. But there's so much low level. I mean, and I think about like we, you know, everyone talks about this this fucking Milo guy, and everyone's talking yeah. about Trump, and yeah. every, you know what I mean. And everyone is talking about all these these like yeah individuals, Kellyanne Conway, or, yeah, you know what I mean. All this stuff. She's a celebrity. And, she has her own recurring SNL character. And I get it, and it's really interesting. To, How do you tear to, someone away from that? Right. Like, I think, can we talk about the issues and understand that, like, 
these guys, these Milos and the you know and mm-hmm. the Ann Coulters and and on the on the on the liberal side too, there's examples of it. I mean, people like that are making money mm-hmm. from what they're doing. They're they know you totally. Know, they know. They want what the they're hate. doing. Yeah, yeah. like and Coulter's entire career is even just saying her name right now. I probably gave her like thirty bucks. Uh, yeah, exactly. And and so like the the you know CNN and 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 all these these different especially yeah especially the TV channels they 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 love mm-hmm. all this stuff and mm-hmm. it's just it's just a cycle and it's like you know everyone's getting getting paid off of it because CNN gets money off of you know better ratings. And all of these idiots that are getting this huge platform online now. Everyone's ratings are, are better. Yeah, so so I get it. Everybody's eating, and there's this like little system of people in the in the whole media politics world right now that are eating and they're succeeding. Mm-hmm. But like, where are the people who are trying to not be a part of that and actually talk about the issues? <laughs> but ask yourself, do we want to talk about the issues? Right. I don't think so. This was not an issues campaign. We spent two years talking about Crooked Hillary, Lion Ted, the email server, and one scandal a day per Trump mm-hmm. that was like salacious, and, and we were so addicted to it. When Betsy DeVos was uh, confirmed as education secretary, she, or even during her confirmation hearings, let's go with the confirmation hearing. She had this exchange with Al Franken mm-hmm. that exposed how little she knew about education. And the debate was over a student's proficiency versus their growth. And it was a metric that Betsy DeVos had no idea what it was. I'm not expecting everyone to know what this is, but I am expecting the education secretary to know what it is. And she had no clue. Right. She has um, kind of, I mean, she has serious views, significant views on school choice, which is basically like, you know, is probably not great for the public school system. Right. Um, there are lots of things about her views that are that that liberals and and Democrats would have an issue with. Not once during the campaign did we discuss education seriously. Not one time. So, if for someone to say to me, "Well, if you guys had covered education more during the campaign, we wouldn't have Betsy DeVos or something like that," like. I don't know if that's true because I don't think you guys wanted to hear about it. There were stories written. There were reports done. I could go back and find them, but they were buried because people didn't want to spend time reading about things like that when they wanted to watch the slugfest. I guess the question is, do we put it on the media to proactively um, do better? Like educate right, inform, Or do we say it's our responsibility as citizens to want to be more informed, yeah. to you know, demand better yeah. content. This is the debate that to move away from this, you know, reality TV media world that we live in. Then get off Facebook. Then then get off like unplug half your social media that's full of shit and start watching PBS right. and start reading ProPublica and the places that are actually doing good journalism that is serious policy stuff and not Twitter <laughs> and not these left and right blogs. Right, right. No one's going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I love it. I can't live without it. Why, why do we love it? Just because it's just reinforcing so how we feel? fucking fascinating, man. And how, can you, how can you, if someone turns on a, a pay-per-view fight on a, on a TV right. and you don't even like, like boxing, tell me you're not going to watch? Yeah. Like, you can't look away. Right. And, it, right. and with this, it feels like we're more connected than ever to it. And everywhere, every single place I've gone in the past 
maybe nine months, I haven't had a conversation that isn't about politics. Right. Not one time. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. It's in everyone's life. You, you can't turn it off. Even if you turned off your TV, even if you shut off your phone, you could not ignore it. You can't get away from it. And then from a creative, allegedly creative person's perspective, I have to assume that you've already seen so much stuff. Mm-hmm. So what am I going to create that's going to be different for you? And that's really hard to do. Totally. It's really, really hard to do. Yeah, and also we just keep, you know, and people can just talk in circles about the same things over and over and over again. Especially, yeah. especially when most people are so, I mean, I don't know if I met many people who are like undecided in the sense that they're like, yeah, I see both sides. Like, no, people either feel one way or they feel the other no, way. No, 100%. I mean, especially this time around. I mean, yeah. it's, it, you know, it's clear as day. Like there's, so you're weird. either with Trump or you're, you're completely against so him. So weird. Because he's so ridiculous yeah. that he's not, he's, it's not like he's, yeah. Oh, he's like a good guy, but he's a Republican and I don't agree with him. Right. You know what I he's mean? He's not even a Republican. Right. He's 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 not. He's not. He's and, just crazy. But people there were, love but crazy. people were saying that about Hillary too, but they're not they're they're not equal in, yeah. in the amount of fucked upness. Of course not. Of course but not. But people really, really, really think that they or thought that they were. Because these people spend so much time watching Fox News and reading fake news right wing sites and Breitbart. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it was. I mean, that's definitely part of it. But like but people I know who don't do that, yeah, they still also are. still thought yeah. that. Well, she's not a very trustful person. Yeah, she just she just ga- person, I think she, I think she literally just gave off a vibe. Yeah, definitely that this, she's like too calculated. Right. The, I think the perfect example of this was a New York Times story um, early on in her campaign that said. Um, Clinton campaign to showcase more of her humor and heart. And it was like this calculated story that campaign officials leaked to the New York Times that Hillary Clinton's going to show more for spontaneous humor. Like, that's an oxymoron. You cannot <laughs> block out. You're like, oh, 2.30 p.m. on a Wednesday, I'm going right. to be spontaneous right. at that moment. Uh, and I'm going to show humor and heart. Like, no, that's not how it works. <laughs> you have to just go be yourself and say what you will about every horrible thing that Trump believes, but he was mostly himself. And the same with Bernie. Like, I've, I've, I've talked to Bernie. I've, I know people who have spent a lot of time with him, and he's almost exactly the same as he is in person as he is well, when he's doing rallies. That, that is the social media. That is, like, the world that I live in. Like, yeah. that's why... Um, all of this stuff is in the conversation now. Yeah. Whereas 10 years ago, when you talk about political elections and things like that, like things were much more controlled from a PR standpoint. Yeah, totally. Um, but that's just, that's just the world. I was telling my girlfriend last night, I said, hey, how do you think we would feel about Tupac if he had Instagram Live? Yeah. You know Seriously. what I mean? Seriously. Yeah. Like, like when wow, I think, really when I think about Tupac or I think about... Um, you know, Michael Jackson or like any of these people, right? Yeah. That are like iconic celebrities. If they were they're mythical creatures. <laughs> if they were Snapchatting. Yeah. So when I go on Instagram live, I'm in my fucking pajamas yeah. in my apartment, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Smoking a joint, being normal, yeah. like a normal human being. And, you know, you never saw that from yeah. 
these like you know really 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 famous people back in the day but you and, and some saw, of them still are are pretty like reserved yeah, but you saw them only the manicured version they wanted you to right. see and even if they're not on Instagram live if they're tweeting every day or yeah. you know yeah. just people are way more out there now than they ever have this been this is probably like there's the paparazzi industry is like dead because yeah. people are just taking photos of themselves well and it's like if if something happened with Hillary Clinton. Yeah. I mean, it's like a matter of minutes until the whole entire world yeah. found out about it. Yeah. So there is no covering it up. Right. There is no, you know, painting this picture of a of a brand yeah. and, and and charisma and, and people, all these things. And people who grew up in this um in this either this election or just this time probably have an expectation now that they'll right. just know everything that there is to know. Yeah. Because if it's not there, then I would, you know, and, I would have seen yeah. it if it were and important. And so, and, and, and Trump, Trump kind of, I think just, he, he frankly, I think he just gets that. And I think that's why he's able to say things that are literally not true. Yeah. And just be like, oh yeah, like whatever. Yeah. In his press conference, he was contradicted I mean, yeah. immediately yeah. about, you know, his stupid talking like, oh, I won the biggest electoral college victory. NBC reporters like, you didn't. Like, it, like Obama got more than you. And he's like, oh, I meant Republican. He's like, right, George H.W. Bush got more than you. And he goes, oh, that was the information I was given. Right. What the hell does that mean? No, you're right. But, but what give the hell? you by an idiot. No, for sure. For sure. But like, you know, people were saying, like, I, I think a lot of people were saying, a lot of Democrats were saying at, toward the end of the election, like, you know, words matter. Yeah. Right? Like, words matter. Yeah. But, like, you know they what? They don't matter. They don't fucking all. matter. The truth words doesn't matter. Do not fucking Nothing matter, fucking matters. Dude. Everyone's got an opinion now. Everyone's got a fucking platform. I can make a podcast. You can make a podcast. Fucking, you yeah. know, Joe Racist next door can make a podcast. You know, these things are not new. Yeah. These opinions are not new. Yeah. Anti Semitism is not new. Racism is not new. Right? Progressive people are not new. Yeah. Police shootings are not new. We can take more videos of them now. People can post their opinions a lot more now. Yeah. It can spread a lot quicker. Yeah. And when you uh, throw all that into the political world, it just fucking blew everything up. Yeah, and that has the most dangerous uh, like powder keg result. And where, where do you go from here? Because now it's like basically you know everything that we've thought about with politicians and how they operate traditionally is out Doesn't the window. Matter. See, predicting things right now is a fool's errand. Yeah. There's no reason to assume that anything that happened before will happen again. I don't know. I think there's an 85% chance in the next, you know, in 2018, there's probably an 85% chance we have a midterm election, which is good. Those are good odds, but like we might not have another election. Trump could go to war with Iran. He could say we're in a state of emergency and we can't have an election right now. And Steve Bannon could destroy the democratic process that elected Donald so Trump. So you're putting that at 15%? I think there's a 15% chance that that happens. <laughs> I think that's reasonable. That's an extreme situation. That's the most extreme situation. Uh, yeah. But how can we predict anything? People right. predicted the end of Trump since day one right. when he said Mexicans are rapists. Right. And that turned out to be the cornerstone of his campaign. Right. Everyone was wrong about everything, so we shouldn't predict anything. Yeah, that's we true. Could, we might have an election. We might have, you know, he might die. He might drop it. He might, uh, he might resign. Who the hell knows? Democrats might not show up in the midterm election, and then Republicans could run the country for the next 40 years after they gerrymander every district even worse than they are now. Yeah, that's true. We are living in some interesting times, that's for sure. Yeah, but it's fun when I get to make viral videos. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, yeah, I wanted to ask you this before we wrap up, because yeah. 
I find it really interesting because my music background, right? Like a lot of people in the music industry would be like, oh, like I want this to go viral. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, you, like, have to, you have to purchase the viral button. And you, <laughs> you press it right as you're publishing your video or your exactly, song. Exactly, just bam. Yeah. Um, Shift viral. <laughs> so as, some, as somebody who is essentially... Um, your job is to create viral content, <laughs> right? As as corny as that sounds. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's basically it, yeah. Right. Um, what's the difference uh, when you go to the table to create that versus, mm-hmm. um, you know, just trying to create in general? You know what's really weird is that I think the difference is just who sees it and then who tweets it. Because I've created videos that I've thought are... 10 times funnier than the Sean Spicer video mm-hmm. and they didn't go anywhere because they didn't get seen by someone with 100,000 followers right. who retweeted it and that got seen by 50 people with 200,000 followers. Right, you know? right, right. The, um, the butterfly effect, it's not a, I guess it's not a butterfly effect because that implies it's slow. It's like an exponential grade when you go viral is amazing and like but you think it's it's more or, or maybe, I, I, think I think it's, it's all about the result. I think it, I really do because I've I've probably made over the past two and a half years I've probably made two hundred videos mm-hmm. and like twelve of them went viral. You know, right. and and the, the thing that that really determined that was was it's who sees it and it's the timing of it. Right, um, those are the two biggest things. And obviously, the content is really really important. But but that's just a standard to get in the door. Yeah, and I've seen things go viral that aren't great, mm-hmm. but they just happen to start with like a really huge audience. Right. And so, you know, if you have an audience of a million people and you put something out, it's going to go viral solely because you have a million people already watching. Right, right. I have, you know, I don't know. But the, th- but the, but the things that go like 6, organically viral. Right. You know, okay, so that's, I love watching like Twitter videos from people with like, you know, 800 followers right. and they've got like 80,000 retweets because right. that means like that video has struck a chord if, if it's an organic video with someone's like oh this is my mom's reaction when I told her I was voting for Hillary right. you know right, right. Or, tr- or whatever like that stuff is really interesting because that means people are just genuinely interested in what that is and they think it's like a really cool message right. so that's like a grassroots viral whereas artificial like the AstroTurf viral is when you have someone with or an, a, a, a company with like millions of people right. and they're like hey this is viral now and it's it's kind of it, if you have a million followers and your thing only gets like 200 retweets, like I don't think that's viral, you know? Like Definitely. it's not viral at all. No. It's fine, but it's not at right. the level that you would say like that's a you the level that where you could walk down the street, talk to 10 people and and one of them has seen it. But I think sometimes it, it is it is the well, I don't know. I guess it's both. But like with your Sean Spicer video, it's like your tweet got like 5,000 retweets and then somebody else tweeted and that got like 10,000 retweets. Exactly. And, and you know yeah. what I mean? It's, it's all like, over the place. But it's, yeah. but it's just because the video is fucking funny. Like, right. I retweeted that. I'm, a, I'm, you know, I'm friends with you and I retweeted that before I even knew that you made it. I know. that When you told me that, I was like, that's the happiest I've been <laughs> like, in like a week. Like, <laughs> I was like, this is fucking hilarious. And that tells me that the content was good enough to be shared well, by and it was a, a heat of the moment person. thing too. I mean, like Sean Spicer was the thing to make fun of Melissa that McCarthy week. Melissa McCarthy has just done her impression. People were still figuring out who he was, right? And he was on TV every day. Right. He still is on TV. Like cable networks take him live every day, which is amazing. It's right. like four million people watch that. So, yeah, the briefings every day. Yeah, every day. Yeah. So for so that hit the two boxes was timing was perfect. The timing could not have been better, mm-hmm. and it got seen by 
Um, I'm trying to remember who the very first, you know, so like I kind of have these little tricks where like I know people who like I'm friends with them and they have huge followings. So I'll like, if I need a boost, like I'll send it to them and I'll be like, Hey, if you like this, I'd appreciate like a retweet. And so I sent it to like, sometimes I'll send it to like 50 people. I feel horrible about it. This one I sent to like four people. And then as soon as they retweeted it, I could watch on my phone. It was just like, that's crazy. And I was like, great. I don't have to do anything anymore. And then like Ricky Gervais, and I don't want to talk about it too. I don't want to brag too much, but like I saw like so many celebrities tweeting it. And right. I was like, now it's at the point where it can't right. be, it can't be stopped. Yeah. So then when you know, you know, that's the only time that's happened to me at that level. Yeah. But it's crazy. That's like to, truly like viral. And like, it's weird to think. Like yeah. That. And like, it's like you said, like it wasn't that like it was my friends doing it cause it was me. It was like people like the content and, right. and that makes me feel good. And is like such a boost to my ego. I think every writer thinks of themselves as a failure and that they'll never have another good idea after this one. Mm-hmm. So it's really nice to be validated like in the moment. Well, I think as a creative person, when your livelihood depends on being creative. Well, it's like we we like really do feed off of, of yeah, the we need the, the reaction. Yeah. yeah. I and love getting feedback. That's what I think that's that's the difference between somebody who's like, you know, who just does things as a hobby yeah. or actually creates and puts things out to the world. I yeah. think that the difference is, is that the people who put it out like feed off yeah. of that and interaction. People used to tell me when I started working at Politico, people said like don't read the comments, which is which means like, you know, there's gonna be nasty people right. out there. I always read the comments. Oh, yeah. And the they comments were nasty. Of part. course they were nasty. Yeah. Like I, but I didn't care. Like Sick. I, I had comments. To know comments are crazy. I know it's another it's, world. It's that's a whole nother. I mean, you could do it's a whole the wild podcast west on the there. people that comment on oh, shit. Yeah. Like people oh, yeah. will comment on like my Instagram photos and stuff, or like my girls' Instagram photos, or like whatever, and they just say the craziest fucking shit because dude. they feel. And and Instagram isn't anonymous either. Yeah. And on on webs like Politico and um, other other sites that I mean, there's more moderation now. But I remember when I was at Politico, you could anyone could log in under any name. Mm-hmm. You could just write, you know. Obama Muslim 69 and <laughs> and and not say who you were or anything and right. write whatever you want and people did that all the time right. and it was like the mask of anonymity was unleashing you know the the inhibitors I talked about before like right. just totally those doors were ripped out of their brains I can say whatever I want and people will see it and th- like for some people that amount of power is catnip so I have one more question for you with with all of this content that you put out with, you know, what do you do it for at the end of the day? In a time like this where, you know, you got this guy in office who is really easy to make fun of, his whole administration has got a million different fucked up things going on every single day that you can create great comedy about. Like, at the end of the day, like, what is driving you to to do it and, and keep going? Is it, do, do you think that you're a part of the the solution there or do you just like creating comedy or you know what i mean i wish i were part of the solution i don't think i'm at the point where i am it would be great if like i saw something happen as a result of my like stupid little videos <laughs> but i don't think i'm at that point it i think that is a great goal to have hmm. i do it because i i do it right now because like i don't have an answer for what happened and i am not like a reporter anymore and I can't you know I can't like call sources and like try to explain things I can only like try to find a way to laugh at it Mm -hmm. and I love like I've always loved this is the most cliche thing about me but like I've always loved making other people laugh 
in uh, with a video with a story, uh, telling talking to someone at a party, like whatever. Like but, I, I mean, comedy is a good way I think for for people to to get introduced into yeah, politics. Yeah, I mean, you know, John Stewart, uh, you know. He's a comedian, but he was a part of the solution for a long, long time. And he even was, if you're just a, a tenth of a percent yeah. of the market that Jon Stewart right. created, right? Like everybody who does things like that is a part of this this web that is a you know it, yeah. is getting people engaged. It's politically. important. That was you know that's what I'm important. saying. Like yeah. a lot of people probably started watching Jon Stewart for the comedy. Yeah. And then, and then a lot understood of stuff. the politics as it as it moved on. I remember you know polls saying? saying that like a majority, maybe not a majority. This might be fake news. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of young stats people, don't matter. Just yeah, make them up. Right, 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 right. It really doesn't matter. A lot of young people are getting their news from the Daily Show, and yeah. that's really, really funny because totally. like the Daily Show is not real news, but at the same time they were being honest and, and it truthful. was like pretty accurate. Like, it was yeah, good. yeah, I mean, and they they, would, they you gave know. you a perspective that no one else was giving you. Right. And that's really important. Right. Except when they spliced the interviews to make it say things that yeah, whatever. That's just editing. Oh, that's to make you laugh and of all the gamut of emotions laughter is the best because it can make people have physical reactions right. that other things can't right and like you know the phrase knee slapper is is hilarious because like what kind what other emotion makes you like do that like yeah. why is my like what my hands right. like hitting my or like clapping like oh, right, oh right, my right. god it's hilarious like what other emotion makes you react in a physical way right. and you can there's a scale of physical things you can do with laughter and if you can get someone to like bend over backward or like you know arch mm-hmm. their back because they're laughing so right. hard that's amazing you've made a really funny joke right or if like two guys like at a comedy club here hilarious joke and then high five each other like wow, wow you've made someone do something so weird because you're funny right right so it's nice to see that. Well, and uh, we're always going to need comedy. I hope Especially so. when things are a little crazy. So If you can find a reason to laugh. <laughs> Matt Negrin, thank you very much. Thank you. Um, make sure you follow him on Twitter, at Matt Negrin, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Check out his Sean Spicer video, too. <laughs> I pinned it. <laughs> it's good. It's good stuff. I retweeted it. Follow me on Twitter, at Cam Meekins. That was what we thought. 